Thank you for joining us for the Ravenswood Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Dustin Moore. We are a Bible-believing, grace-driven church located on the north side of Chicago. As a church, we are passionate about making disciples of all people for the glory of God. If you would like more information about our ministry, visit ravenswoodbaptist.org. Now, here's Pastor Dustin. I'm going to be reading from 1 John chapter 3 this morning. We've got uh, many in our midst who, maybe it's your first time or not uh, able to be with us on a regular basis. Here at our church, we have a pattern on Sunday mornings of working through books of the Bible, next chapter, next verse, expositional style of preaching. We get into the Word so that the Word gets into us. If you'd like to follow along with the message on our website, ravenswoodbaptist.org slash live, you can find the handout uh, that is posted there, the message outline. We'll give you a little bit of an idea of the message as well, if that'll be an encouragement to you. Let me read for you, if I may, God's Word, 1 John chapter 3. I'm going to talk very fast today. 1 John 3, verses 1 through 3 this morning. This is God's Word. Behold, what manner of love... The Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. Have you ever had your life, had a life event that was so monumental that it transformed you deeply? These could be events that are both positive and negative. For some of these moments, for some of these moments could be maybe marriage to your spouse, birth of a child. Uh, It could even be, unfortunately, a near-death experience, or as many in our church have experienced in recent months, the death of a close friend or family member. could be a, a scary health diagnosis or significant hardship. But there are these markers in our life, these moments that often change us fundamentally as people. Our perspective, when we come through moments like that, when we experience moments like that, our perspective on relationships, on people, on work, on health, and even money can shift because these moments get so down deep into us that we're never the same after that. We begin to see our lives differently. Our relationships are changed. The things that used to get us more worked up don't really matter that much anymore. We might even come out of these transformational moments and we might choose to live with more passion in the present moment of life. As if you watch our live broadcast tonight on Facebook, you're going to see from Ecclesiastes 11 that Solomon encourages wise living in the present. We need these. In, in fact, We need these positive and negatives. We don't like the negatives, but we need these moments in our life because they do shape us. They do shape us. In the Christian's life, in the Christian's life, there are at least two moments 
According to the Apostle John, and I would recommend even the Apostle Paul, there are two moments that are meant to transform us right now. Two moments. The saving work of Christ by his death and resurrection is meant to transform Christians right now. The second is the future imminent return of Jesus Christ. It is also a moment that Paul and John and the New Testament writers and yes, Jesus, tell us are to transform the way we live. These two events are the greatest, most transformational events in all of humanity and one that has happened and one that is yet to come. John has, in his letter here, he has pointed to this. As we saw a couple weeks ago at the end of chapter 2, he pointed us to the second coming of Christ and to the new birth. Notice in 1 John chapter 2, the very conclusion of that chapter, he said this, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, when he shall appear, second coming, when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him, the new birth. Now, there in verse 28, the Christian is told that they can have confidence when Christ returns. And secondly, in verse 29, John references the righteousness that comes from us because of our new birth. Now, none of this, none of this is stated just to state it. But this is about the life of Christian. Now, hear me very carefully. This is about the life of the Christian connected to these New Testament truths. What I mean is that John's whole point of this passage is that the false teachers, which we have talked about and talked about and talked about, the false teachers that were present in the Johannine community, those false teachers had left the church and they had lived, lived in some form of moral emptiness. Their, the truth was, their theology, their wrong theology, informed their immorality. Wrong theology had informed their immorality. For the Christian, and why John writes this, is our morality, our morality is to be informed by right theology. Our morality, our lifestyle, the way we live, is to be informed by our theology. The lifestyle of a Christian, within the context of 1 John chapter 3, as we're going to see in a moment, is that the new birth and the second coming of Christ should shape the way we live. For those walking in closeness with Jesus and with fidelity to God's word, their lives, our lives, will be shaped by the truths of the new birth and the coming of Christ. Now, let me just say to you this morning, we Christians, we believers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we need a recovery of Christian, ethos, uh, Christian ethos to recover a truly Christian lifestyle, but that ethic and that lifestyle will not be recovered, hear me, by political strategy or even religious pressure. The Christian lifestyle that we need recovered is to be recovered by the timeless message of the gospel. It is the truths of the gospel 
that shape our character. They shape our life. If you show me a disconnect from biblical ethics and biblical lifestyle, I will show you a disconnect from the gospel. Show me a disconnect from biblical character, and I'll show you a disconnect from our focus on the second coming of Christ. You see, John knows, the apostle knows why this matters, and I'm afraid we don't know. I'm afraid we don't know why it matters. The text today is meant to shape a lifestyle by the truth that we see and we understand. So let me give you these three truths that we see in this passage here very quickly today. Number one, number one, John speaks about a precious present. I mean present, a gift, a precious present. Notice in verse number one again, let me read for you these precious words. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Behold, he says, behold, take a good look at what John is about to tell his audience. He says, there's a love that the Father hath, has bestowed on us. John uses that word, what manner of love. This is where John expresses great astonishment at this love. Now John is somebody who talks about love quite a bit. You know that probably because you know that when you think about love and John, you immediately think of John 3.16, for God so loved, so loved the world, right? That he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God so loved the world. But what John says here, I'm going to recommend to you, it's on another level. It's another level. What manner, the phrase what manner, now listen very carefully to this, speaks of something that is from another country. It's from another country. What has come to us, what manner of love, the kind of love that has come to us from the Father is from another world. It's from another world. You'll find no comparison to it in this world. Nothing looks like it in this world. He says, behold, this love that comes is it's from the Father in heaven. It, it, the descriptor is so powerful. Now, you, you may have grasped this love by the Spirit's enablement. But in another sense, John is telling us, I'm not sure you comprehend. It, this kind of love is... It's, it's otherworldly, right? It's from another world. The love that you have received from the Father, you have received nothing like that on this side. From this world, from this country. You've not seen another love like this, friends. John's descriptor here is, listen, it's an alien form of love. It's, an, it, it's, it's not human. You might have Receive the love of friends, or maybe you doubt the love of friends. You might have received the love of family, or maybe you doubt the love of family. You may doubt the love of co-workers, for crying out loud. But the love which has bestowed, been bestowed on you from the Father is from another world. It is insanely overwhelming. Stuart Townend, in his great hit song that we've sung here many times, he wrote it like this. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast, beyond all measure. You can't measure it. It's deeper than you can go. It's wider than you can process. This love 
is otherworldly. John tells us that this love was manifested, as in John 3.16, that he gave his son. In this sense, love was manifested in another gift. Here's what it is, that we should be called the sons of God. That we should be called the sons of God. The only way we can receive this gift, this title, is from a love that is out of this world. John chapter 1, you remember John 1, this is how it happened. When, when Jesus comes to this in the incarnation and John the Apostle is writing about this, he says, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name. That was God's love to us straight from heaven in the person of Jesus. Now I wish I could, I could stop here. And I wish I could take the hammer and the nail of truth and drive this deeply. This out of this world love of the Father has given us the gift of being His child. Here's a, questions, a couple questions for us. And you got to ask yourself, you got to interact with truth for it to get deep into you. If we truly believed God loved us this much, how different would our lives be today? If you truly believe that the Father loved you with an out-of-this-world, other-country kind of love, how different would your lifestyle be today? You'd find yourself not needing the love of others so desperately. How differently would we view ourselves and how differently would we view God? See, there are a lot of titles that can be conferred upon you, but only God can grant you the gift of being called his child. Let me remind you of something as well that we need to, we need to grasp. And we're going to drive this home in coming weeks. Listen very carefully. John used very specific pronouns. He used the pronouns in chapter 3 and verse 1 of us and we. Us and we. If I am God's child and he loves me this much and you are God's child, guess what? I can never dismiss the fact that he loves you this much as well. See, what does that mean? What's, why does that matter? To treat another Christian poorly is to functionally believe that God loves me this much, but not you this much. See, to mistreat another person, another believer, is to say, wow, look at this other world love that I have. But when I mistreat you, I am, I am saying in action, you don't have that kind of love, but I do. See, John says, it's us and we, not I and me. Us and we. And I, so how's my lifestyle going to be changed by this truth? My lifestyle is going to be changed by this truth because the way I treat fellow believers and image bearers is going to be changed when I realize that the same amount of love God has for me, He has for you. He has for you. How would the family of God be different if we believe that our Father really loved each of us. How might it be different? How might that change our interactions? I'm afraid sometimes we're convinced that God loves me. 
But this is a family promise, friends. This is a family promise. You don't get to own this by yourself, although you should own it. This is all of us. To be God's child is a beautiful promise in Scripture. It's a beautiful promise in Scripture. Galatians chapter 4. We find in verse number 4, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more servant to the law, a servant to sin, but a son, and of a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Well, I, could, I told you I could stay right here all day. The family of God is comprised of sons and daughters of God. Sons and daughters who have received a new nature. The nature of their father. Therefore, the character of their father. And so when John connects doctrine to lifestyle, he says, you are the sons of God and your character should look like your father. I saw my dad this week. Friday, actually. I don't know how many times somebody who knows my dad and has heard my dad teach and preach the Bible and then has heard me teach and preach the Bible has said to me, you remind me of your dad. You remind me of your dad. It ought to be the life of a Christian that when somebody sees us, and especially within the body of Christ, that somebody looks at you and says, you remind me of, your, of our father. You remind me of our Father. The grace in which you handle tension within the family of God, you remind me of our Father. The kindness and deference you show to other Christians, you remind me of our Father. Your patience with me when I block you in the parking lot reminds me of our Father. Your willingness to lay down your, your needs and rights for the body Reminds me of our Father. See, this is the character of believers. John adds a statement here. Almost in passing. He says, therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. The point here is if the world has, the world has no concept, no concept of this relationship, why? You've got to understand. Stay with me now. I know it's creeping up on lunchtime. The world has no concept of this relationship. And the reason is because the unbelieving world doesn't grasp the relationship between Jesus and the Father. We find that in the Gospel of John. Jesus says, if you knew the Father, you would know me. The world doesn't grasp the relationship between the Father and the Son. Therefore, the world doesn't grasp our relationship to the Father. Doesn't grasp it. Now, Listen long enough, and the world expects you to look like the Father, but it doesn't, it doesn't understand the relationship. So the world knoweth us not. The world will hate us, John 15, when we live in accordance with our Father. Amazing. But he goes on in verse number 2, and this is where 1 John gets a little heavy for us. We've got to be tethered to Scripture here. We've got to be willing to dig deep. We find not only a precious present, but now we find a present, a current position. Current position, look at verse number two. Here's your current position, you ready? Beloved, now, now are we the sons of God. 
And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. I love that word, beloved. Beloved, it's a precious word. You know what he's saying there? He's saying, my fellow loved brothers and sisters. My fellow loved brothers and sisters. All of you that are loved like I am loved. He says, we are right now the sons of God. Right now. This is our present position. It's our current standing. We are right now sons and daughters of God. We're not working to get in the family or stay in the family. We're not trying to measure up to be in the family. right? We're not pleading for, for status within the family. No, no, we are right now the sons of God. And John says that because this has already happened. But he also says it because he's introducing attention here. We say attention, there's this kind of give and take in the theology that John teaches. And here's what he says. Listen very carefully to this. We are currently who God has redeemed us to be. You are currently who God has redeemed you to be. But the tension in Christian theology is what we call the already but not yet. Seems to be a misnomer, right? It's paradoxical. It's already but not yet. We are already God's sons fully, but not totally what we will be. Although John's writing is inspired, he makes clear that we don't even know what our future likeness will be. We don't even know. He doesn't know how to describe it to us. We know that we will be like Jesus, but there is not a full description of what that looks like from John. Now we know that we've already received of our divine nature because we are the sons of God. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 4 tells us that we are partakers of the divine nature. And although we are the sons of God with our new nature, John knows that the state of the sons of God in he knows that the state of the sons of God in heaven has not been disclosed to him. It's not been disclosed to him. But he goes on to say that this does not mean that we know nothing about our future position. Because the sequence is laid out by John. Here's the sequence. When he, Christ, when he appears, we'll see him as he is. And we'll be like him. This is, by the way, this is according to Romans chapter 8, verse 29. This is our predestined, our predetermined end, that we would be like Jesus. Notice in Romans 8, 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. See, this has been the predetermined end for all believers. Now John doesn't know what all that looks like. He just says, when he appears, we'll see him. And when we see him, we'll be like him. Be like him. When he comes, one of the simplest ways to grasp our future as the sons of God and the sons and daughters of God is to see it this way. Listen very carefully in the way John teaches it. On that last day and through all eternity, we will be both with Christ and like Christ. That's the most simple way to explain all that John is saying. On that last day, we will be both with Christ and like Christ. That's what's been disclosed to John. And hear me, you may, you may be reading this and you go, 
man, Dustin, I don't know that I grasp all the intricacies of this. And by the way, we could probably have a semester of a theology course to dig deeper and to piece this out a little bit and to try to process it. And, And by the way, church should just be a little bit of the appetizer for you to go home and do that. But the point is this. John says, when Jesus appears, we'll be with him and we'll be like him. It doesn't get any better than that. And that, he says, should drive our lifestyle. That's the third portion here. It's a gift that's been given you that you've received this out of this world love that God would call you his son and daughter. And then that you are his son and daughter. This is who you are. But you don't fully grasp yet who you're going to be. That's not happening until he returns. Thirdly, he goes on, and this is where he connects. And by the way, I hope you've, you've gotten this if you've been here any amount of time. Doctrine informs a lifestyle. What we believe as truth drives how we live. And that's why John goes to this third point here. It's a purifying possession. Possession, yes. The possession of being the son of God. The possession of being a daughter of God. Loved with an out of this world love. The promise of being with him and being like him. That is your possession. That is your hope. And John says this in verse number 3. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Again, another paradox. I don't have time to flesh this out fully. Let me just say this. John's point about writing about the return of Christ has not just been doctrinal. It's Aaron Water Show, in case you didn't know. There they are. I'll let them get by. Who said living in the city isn't cool, right? John's point here about the return of Christ is not just doctrinal. It's ethical. When I say doctrine, it's not just teaching you doctrine. He's actually not even really fully laid out the doctrine of the second coming of Christ. That's not really even his point per se. His point is to say, the new birth, you have a new character so you should look like your father. And your brother Jesus is coming back. And when he appears, you'll be with him and like him. And your life should look differently today because of those truths. And every man that hath this hope. Now this is not an uncertain hope. Like human hopes, you know this. It's grounded on the promises of Christ, and Christ is faithful to his promises. Biblical hope is not finger-crossing. It's not a confident, or it's, not a, it's not rubbing your, your good luck charm. It's a confident expectation of good things to come. And we know the truth for which we hope, and that is this. Christ has redeemed us, he has purchased us with his blood, and he is returning John says that Christians who fix their hope, their confident expectations on a coming Christ, will purify themselves. And we will do so because Jesus is pure. That last line, even as he is pure. I believe he's connecting that to Jesus. We'll purify ourselves even as he. The one who's coming is pure. The beauty of this, of this passage, and again, there's so much here that I'm not even covering. Listen, the pure one is coming. 
when we see him, we'll be, li- we'll be like him. We'll be like him. We will be perfectly pure as he is. Until that day, we continue to purify ourselves by the truth of the word of God in anticipation of that day. That's what John is saying here. Now, Paul wrote about how theology and doctrine drive our lives. Let me just conclude our time with this passage. I want you to hear it. You're familiar with it possibly, but I want you to see what Paul says. He says in Titus chapter 2 and verse 11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared, that's already been once, in Christ. In Christ. Hath appeared to all men. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope. And the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Do you notice the two themes in there? Jesus has has come and Jesus is coming. And those bookends, those two truths, those two realities are to shape the life of every Christian. So I want to ask you, I want to ask you three questions in application and closing, which is standard for what we do here. Ready? Don't miss. Number one, you got to ask yourself, do I live out of my identity as a son or daughter of God? Do I? If you've been here any amount of time, you know that I'm, I'm, I focus heavily on the theme of identity because you will always live out of some identity structure. Some form of a descriptor about who you are who you think you are, who others have told you you are. But John says here, your fundamental identity is one that's been given to you by an out-of-this-world love. And that love has given you, if you're in Christ, the identity of a son and daughter of God. There is no higher identity. There is no higher identity. And you have an option every day to choose to live out of that identity. Paul calls it, Putting on the new man. Putting on the new man. The idea of identity is often too abstract for us. It's too abstract for us. The concrete way of seeing this is living out of who we are in Christ. And the concrete way of seeing this is looking like our Father. Looking like our Father. Does the character of my life look like the character of my Father? Because I'm His child. Number two, do I frequently think about the truth of Christ's appearing? Does my heart want it? Is there an eagerness to see him? It's it's almost like we see crisis moments around the world. And you know what my, my social media is filled with? Maybe yours is too. Maranatha, right? Come, Lord. Return, Lord Jesus. We're tired of seeing what we're seeing on the global scale. Do you know that we don't need, as Christians, we don't need a crisis to look for the blessed hope? We don't. It's to be the heartbeat of a Christian every day. Gil mentioned it last week. Is my, are my eyes fixed on a coming Savior? My life today should be informed by that. Do we anticipate it? Are we, and are we eager to see Him? 
If not, if not, ask yourself why not. Maybe one, maybe you haven't heard enough teaching about it. Maybe you haven't studied it enough in Scripture. Maybe, as is always possible for all of us, that our heart has grown cold to it. That we're distant from the Lord in our relationship. But we need to understand, hear me, we need to understand that when Christ appears, all of our longings will be fulfilled in that moment. It's what we've waited for. It's what we were saved for. And when we think about that and we remember Christ's return, hear me, we will care much about about the evangelism of those that are lost and we'll care about our own purity as believers. Number three, and the obvious question in all of this is, is simply this. You have to ask yourself, have I experienced the new birth? Have I experienced the new birth? Do I know Jesus as my Savior? Am I a son or daughter of God? If you would say, yes, I am, what's your response to that? Why do you think you are? See, the Gospel of John told us, here's how you become the son and daughter of God. But as many as received him, received who? Jesus. Received him not just as a person, not just as a religious teacher, not just as a moral example, received him as my only hope for eternal salvation before a holy God. For as many as received him, to them gave he, Jesus gave you the ability to be his child. I've said it around here many times. So the Christian life, the Christian life is salvation is received, not achieved. It's received, not achieved. You can't achieve it. You couldn't if you tried. You can't try on your best day to present yourself holy before a holy God. You needed somebody who could bridge the gap between your unholiness and the holiness of a father, of the Father, of, of your Creator. And the only one that could do that was the sinless Son of God. So the only hope for salvation, the only hope to be the son and daughter of God is to receive, to receive Jesus. That's it. We often will say and we'll often think some form of a lifestyle. Let's not put cart before horse. You are not saved by your lifestyle. You are saved by by Jesus. But when you are saved by Jesus, Jesus will transform your lifestyle. We've heard today two incredible truths that are not to be connect, disconnected from our life. We are all now enabled by the Holy Spirit to walk out this door over here today with this reality. If I, am a, if I have placed my faith in Jesus Christ, I am right now God's child. And that is from some incredible love. Secondly, I walk out that door knowing that Christ is coming. He's coming. I should anticipate it. And my life should be shaped 
there should be some purifying going on in my life as I look forward to Christ's return. Are you ready? Are you ready? Do you know Christ? And are you ready for his return? Let's live with those in view this week by God's grace. Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at ravenswoodbaptist.org. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media ministry and outreach ministry of Ravenswood, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Chicago and around the world.